Well, my subject as we go through the book of Romans is um, God reveals his righteousness. So we're going to be looking at the last part of the chapter 3 in Romans and into chapter 4. It's a, a vast area and of course, as usual, we would say that we're <laughs> going to try and do it justice, but it's hardly possible with, with the amount of time that we have. So I'd just like us uh, just to recap a little bit uh, that what has been said very briefly in the previous uh, discussions or sermons on Romans 1 and Romans 2 and most part of Romans 3 has been looking at man's inability to come to God. It looks at how God has given mankind time to try and build up a relationship with him, to try and show a righteousness and a purity that effectively was totally impossible. And time and time again, man has failed. I was touching with those of you who listened to uh, the ministry on Tuesday to try and very briefly go through the early years of this world. <clears throat> from the Garden of Eden right through to Noah and, uh, and on a bit. And all that you can see is man's unrighteousness, man's sinfulness, and time and time again falling down from the standards that God required. And here you're getting in Romans, you're just getting confirmation of that, that there is no righteousness in man. And then you come to verse 21 and it says, but now. So here it's, it's been talking about negativity mainly. And then it comes to, but now. So let's just read verse 21 to the end of the chapter. We'll just read that section. And it's headed in my Bible, righteousness through faith. But now. A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No. But on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. That a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes of Gentiles too, since there is only one God 
who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Stop there for the moment. That's just, again, confirming what I've just said, that justification could not come through the law. And that we as Gentiles are, um, have the privilege, I suppose, of seeing how God dealt with the Israelites, how he dealt with the Jews, how the Jews fell, failed, how their relationship with God, with a covenant with God, did not materialize, but constantly fell down because of sin. And time and time again, God called them to himself. And they, time and time again, they failed until eventually God sent his son. Why did he send his son? Because there was, for us, no other option. There was no way mankind, and it had been justified over thousands of years it had been seen, that there was no way man was going to get to God, either through the law or through the prophets or through any uh, perfect lifestyle because mankind was born in sin and we are no different from them. We're born in sin and so we come to the righteousness of God and here we get a different righteousness. There were men in, in, and women, I'm sure, in the Old Testament that were regarded as righteous. They were people who lived very righteous lives, but they were not perfect. They were not holy. When Noah went into the ark, God destroyed the unrighteousness and the sinfulness of the world. And he had eight people, eight humans in that ark. Uh, and Noah was regarded as a man who was righteous. And I'm not questioning that, but he was a sinner. He was sinful, and so were all the other people, the other seven in the ark. And so when they came out of the ark, God started anew, and it was very soon, very short space of time, before sin began to come forward. Unrighteousness began to show its face, and God again became concerned and upset and disappointed with mankind. I say disappointed, I don't mean that in a, that's a human term. <laughs> God was, of course, well aware of what was going to happen. And he was a God who had a plan of redemption from the beginning of time. I want to just read um, a portion in Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah 51, just a few verses in there, verse, reading from verse 4. It says, listen to me, my people. This is the people of Israel. Hear me, my nation. The law will go out from me. This is God speaking. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. Or my righteousness is near, as it says in some Bibles. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait in hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. 
The heavens will vanish like smoke, and earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. That was the prophet Isaiah speaking the words of God originally to the people of Israel. But as we've just read, God's salvation, God's righteousness was not just to the Jews. It came to the Jews first. It was God's choice to have the people of Israel and to have a covenant with them and to seek through them to have a people that could come close to him, that could worship him, that could see his glory and have the joy and the appreciation and understanding of what it is to be close to God and to worship him. But as, as we know from the scriptures, the Jews rejected him. God knew they would do that. But as we read in chapter 4, we'll read it a little bit later, we've got time, is that God used a man, Abraham, who wasn't a Jew, in order to show what righteousness and justification is coming from faith that was expressed in his life. What we just read in Isaiah 51 was that his righteousness was coming. God's righteousness is in the person of Christ. God's righteousness is at the the place of Calvary. What we've been doing this morning in our worship is again giving God thanks for our salvation, giving God thanks for his son. Because God's righteousness was shown, expressed, manifest at Calvary. Because when you picture the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary, he was bearing our sin. But the outcome of what happened at Calvary is that we have life eternal. We receive the righteousness of God in its entirety, in its perfection, because it's all in Christ Jesus. If we were left to ourselves, and if, <laughs> as we look at just the law of Moses, if it was just that given to us, come in, you're welcome, have a seat. If it was left to us, we would fail. We'd start on a foundation of failure because we're born in sin. And in us to attain the righteousness of God is impossible. We would not get there. We would fail. The only hope we have is for God's righteousness to be given to us. And that is what he did in his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came, he took our sin, he bore our punishment, he removed sin. And now the call has come to be in faith and you will receive eternal life. That is all the gospel in a nutshell is all about. Believe in me. Believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the son of God. Believe that he took our sin and just come to him. And when... Here in Isaiah, God was foretelling, my righteousness is coming. It's coming quickly. 
and it's going to come in the perfection of my son the Lord Jesus Christ I want to read another portion in Psalm Psalm 85 which again is, is connected to his righteousness Psalm 85 And verse 9 reads, Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. And then verse 10, Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Just think, Christ. That's his righteousness. You know, when I was thinking about these these lovely words, it's maybe well known to some of you that mercy and truth meet together. The mercy of God at the cross of Calvary. What was it that was due to us as sinners? People who are born in sin because of what Adam had done. People who sin all the time. And there you see God in his mercy. Is prepared to put that aside. But how can a just God put aside sin? He has to deal with it. He hates it. It's something that has to be punished. And we are sinners who need to be punished. So how does God get round that? Well, here you, you read again in the psalm a prophetic thing that, that mercy is coming together with truth. The truth of God. God has got to be true. God has got to be true to himself. God who is righteousness, who is holy, who is all perfect how can that come together with sin? And his mercy is shown. It comes together with his truth. Why? In the person of Christ. Because when we look at Christ, he's the son of God. When we look at him in all his perfection, his sinlessness, he is the one who went in our place. We, none of us could go there. None of us are worthy. None of us are sinless. None of us would appease the holy and righteous God. But God in his mercy sent his son. And the second part of that was that righteousness and peace kissed each other. See the righteousness that we can come to God in his righteousness and from it we can get peace. You know, the, the story that really I thought summed it all up <laughs> to that psalm and just summing up the, the righteousness of God was the, the story that the Lord Jesus told. You know the prodigal son? The well-known story of the prodigal son who had left his father, who had taken all his money, the money that was owed to him and he'd squandered it. He'd had a great time uh, enjoying the fruits of the world, so to speak, until it came a point when he ran out of money. He had nothing. Feeding pigs. There came a point 
when he said, I will go to my father. The story, if you know it well, is that the prodigal son, he's journeying back. He's journeying back to his father. What's the father doing? The father is watching. The father is waiting. The father's mercy is just oozing from him. He's waiting. He's longing. And he sees him afar off. It's a lovely picture, you know, of the mercy of God. He's waiting. He's love. He's wanting his son, his children back. And I just thought that was a picture again, the beginning and showing God's righteousness. That is, he is longing for the, the sinner, for the person who needs redemption, for the person who needs life eternal, for the person who needs life to come to God. God, in all his righteousness, he sees a sinner like me. Somebody born in sin. Somebody who sins all the time. Somebody who is far from perfect. He sees me coming. And he rushes out to meet me. What does he do? He embraces me. The father had such love that despite what had happened, despite the sin, the separation, the rejection, he waited, he wanted him back. He saw the righteousness there, that the mercy of God was seen in his coming back and the way he was received. The mercy of God was that he didn't see the sinful man. He didn't start scolding him. He didn't start telling him, I told you so, and get it. This is a God, or a, this is a father of love, who just wanted him back. The truth is seen there. Well, what is the truth then? The truth is the way back. There was a way back. The, the prodigal son recognised that he could go back. There is the opportunity. It's what's called salvation. That because of what Christ Jesus has done, that he's expressed the righteousness of God by going to the cross and dying there in order that we might have a way back. And so he was able to embrace. He was able to kiss. He was able to receive the Son back in to the fold. The righteousness is in the work of Christ at Calvary. That righteousness is all seen in him. The running, the embracing, the kissing, and the receiving with joy is a beautiful picture of God's righteousness. That is something that, if you're not a Christian, you can come to and embrace but if you are a Christian, it's something you should never forget. It's not something that you put aside once you've become a Christian. It's not something that you receive and then put it in your drawer. It's something that you live. Because Christ Jesus is alive. And the righteousness of God is evident today. And he wants us to express ourselves 
in that righteousness. Because the last thing was that through it all, and we read, there would be peace. Do we have peace? Do we have peace in the righteousness of God? Because that's what Romans has just been telling us in chapter 3, at the end of it. That that peace is what we can get by receiving Christ Jesus. Receiving the righteousness of God. Is that we have the peace that our eternity is secure. That our bodies might die, but our spirits will live forever. Our souls go to heaven and we live forever with him. The picture, just to finish that, uh, the story of uh, the prodigal son was that he was received back. The other son who had never left, he received what was his due. He never left. And all that the father had belonged to him. There was a sense of loss for the prodigal son but not eternal loss, and he was received back. And that's the main thing. And that is the thing that we can rejoice in. Just remind them of time, just going on and thinking about boasting. Should we boast? Of nothing for us to boast. This is where the, uh, Paul is telling us that we should not boast because we've nothing to boast about. If we could have kept the law of Moses in its entirety, in its perfection, you still wouldn't have been able to boast because you're still a sinner. And anyway, the law was there to prove that it was impossible to find righteousness and salvation through the law. You could not do it. It was impossible. And God in his patience, is he waited and waited and time and time again it was proved until it became so evident, I need to send my son, which was his plan all along, because he knew that. Mankind had to learn that. And so, as we see in the sacrifices in the, in the law of Moses, the necessity for blood to be put in the tabernacle, on the mercy seat for the cherubim to look at that and to look forward and say, there's coming. God's salvation is coming. You look at the blood. I will receive you now, God is saying to the Israelites, if you shed the blood of animals, because to me it's pointing to Christ, and I will put aside your sin for the moment, because I'm seeing what's coming. We now, we're looking back. We've nothing to boast about, except, as Paul said, in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing we can boast about. In Romans chapter 4, and I'm sorry about the time, we're going to have to skim through this. Paul used two people in chapter 4, which I maybe have to recommend that you read for yourselves. He took Abraham, and he took the belief that Abraham had that came through faith, that was rendered unto him as righteousness. Do you remember? You read it in Genesis that God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. Ur was a place of idolatry. And Abraham was in the middle of it. And he was a God-fearing man. But he was struggling in amongst idolatry. And God said, get out of there. Go to a place that I will show you. And it says that of Abraham that he did what God said. He got up 
and he left and it was rendered unto him as righteousness that is a picture for all mankind that God's righteousness is available to those who will receive God's righteousness he's offering his righteousness he's offering something that's free if you will only obey him if you'll only trust him and that's what Abraham did and it's for the Jew and the Gentile the offspring of Abraham we look at the lineage of Abraham right down to Christ all of us come from Abraham if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ Jesus came through the lineage from Abraham and that is for all man Jew and Gentile the second um, um, person that that's Paul has used in Romans 4 is David and of David he was somebody who sinned greatly and he came back he was a bad sinner and David was able to say blessed are those and you read this in verse 7 of chapter 4 blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. So God's righteousness was seen in Abraham in his obedience, in his faithfulness. God's righteousness is also seen in David. Because through his sin, God forgave him. How did he forgive him? Well, God rendered that it would not count against him because of Christ that David recognized that his redemption was coming later and that he could call upon it because from the lineage of David was coming Christ King David right down through the line the Bible shows us so clearly came the person of Christ and the Lord, David referred to him as his Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. David was given the opportunity to repent and he was forgiven because of what was going to happen to his offspring. His offspring, Christ Jesus, was going to the cross and he was going to bear David's sin. He was going to take the punishment that David should have had. And that applies to all who come to Christ Jesus. I'll leave it there. I'm sorry time has run out.